Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the work in the Lord? My work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have the share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Father, we come now to hear from you. We come now, Father, to open our souls to that wondrous work of your spirit and your people. Father, I beg now that we grow. Father, that you instill in us that uh, as newborn babes crave milk, that we would crave the pure spiritual milk of your word. Father, I ask now that even, even now you would teach us. Father, teach me. Show me my brother here. Show me the work of your spirit. Father, may these precious saints hear from you this day in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. I laid a little note here in my notes that says, review the whole of 1 Corinthians chapter and verse up until this point. Why? This text has been, uh, what shall I say, perverted over time. It's probably a good term. Uh, we will use it, and I've seen very solid people use this as six reasons to pay the preacher. That is in this text, but that is not the context of this text. All right, and um, uh, truth of the matter is, if you were to write this out as a letter, and as I do sometimes, uh, especially when a text gets, shall I say, complicated, I will write it out as a letter. If you wrote this out as a letter, there is no chapter 9 nor 10. But you've got a great big chapter 8. And then you'd have to jump into 11, and I'm not sure. Uh, that might be new math or something. 
All right, so when, when you look at this and we, when we understand this and we grab this, we need to understand what's Paul dealing with. So I will quickly touch on some things in this text up to this point. Uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 10, he said, I exhort you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you and that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. There was a problem in the church in Corinth. Why? What was it? They weren't agreeing. They were not of the same mind nor the same judgment. Things were happening. There were schisms in the body of Christ in the church in Corinth. Verse 31 of chapter 1 says, It is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is God doing in your life? Every single one of you in this room today, God is doing something in your life. It may not be pleasant, but he is working in every single Christian's life. He doesn't take a vacation. Okay, now we can steal ourselves to his prompting and we can move away from some of the things that he is saying and we can ignore him for a time. Some of you have heard my illustration uh, on the footprints in the sand sand poem that everybody likes. And we talk about, oh, I just want to leave one set of footprints and me and Jesus and he just carried me and how sweet that is. That's great because here's the alternative, drag marks in the sand. Okay, you can kick against the goad. You can argue with him. You can shake your fist at him and it will be to no avail. All right, you need to understand that. When the Bible says every knee shall bow, that does include you. Okay? In chapter 2 of this text, this letter, verse 14, natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They are spiritually evaluated. All right? There is a time when you will bow to the holy book, period. I was accused in my past of being a Bible idol, uh, idolater, that I worshipped the Bible and I put too much energy into the Bible. Since that time I have learned in John's Gospel chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. I have served a lot of idols in my time. The Bible is not on the list of things to get rid of. Okay, But natural man does not comprehend this. When you go to your text and it don't make sense, who's got the problem? The author of the text or the person seeking the text? And we moved into that portion and understood it that there is a wisdom that God has given unto the body of Christ, the church. It is a mystery that has been given. And what do I do with that mystery? Chapter 3, verse 1. I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, natural men. So now what has he just done? He has said there are times that the body of Christ will try to grasp things in their own ability, in their own understandings. Okay? People ask me, what is the secret to your study? What is the most important thing in your study? Fervent prayer without ceasing. Why? I don't like verbs and adjectives. <laughs> so if I'm going to do this, I need divine intervention. 
I was not an English major. And some of you said, yeah, we know. We've heard you talk. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we'd like for it if you just speak American. But uh, the, the truth of the matter is there's times when we deal with this. When I look at Scripture, have you, now maybe it's just me. Have you ever looked at the book and it's just dry? I mean, it isn't even a good novel. I mean, it just, you just read them, I'm reading it, and I'm reading it, and then just going on. And it just has no impact on you. Has the Bible changed? It is living. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It knows your thoughts. It knows the intents of your heart. So if it does that, and you don't feel it, which one has the problem? If you go to the Bible on the basis of knowledge, it will be a dry book. It would be like, let's take the um, Britannica book of encyclopedias and read them. Okay? Because they're there? No. Or we go to the Bible because I believe this and I need a verse of Scripture that will validate my belief. Why are you going? You're going for your love of knowledge. You know, I watch people deal with the doctrine of uh, predestination. God foreknowing. And I'm not here to teach about that. But you know why they struggle it? It's not an issue. That isn't the issue. Well, but if God does this and this and this, and regardless of what I'm doing, what am I here for? You completely missed it. Try love. That's what you're here for. If I love him, this book is alive and it is good. I mean, you talk about pigging out. When I deal with the doctrine, you know what? The doctrine of God's predestination and man's responsibility is absolutely simplistic to me. You know what the problem is? I can't teach anybody it. Why? What am I going to tell you? Love him more and it'll make sense? That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Okay, now how am I going to make you do that? I've tried. (laughs) That don't work either. All right? But it's in love. I mean, my wife likes horses. I'll give you an illustration, okay? This morning, I was at the sink preparing to kind of trim up my beard a little bit, and I hear this voice, Terry, Jocko's gone. And all I could think was, praise God. (laughs) Then this thought came through, that's probably not exactly what I need to say. So this morning, early in the morning, I'm out with my sweatpants on and my flip-flops looking for a horse. Chaco. Okay? I'll be honest with you. That's just not the way I like to start my mornings. I mean, some of you may be into it. If you are, give me your number and I will share the bounty. All right? Why was I willing to all of a sudden go out, throw on some clothes, give me a little bucket of grain and a rope and not my gun? You know, I am merciful. My Lord is merciful. Because of my love for Chaco? Right? Why did I do that? Because I love my wife. Why? Because my wife, I've spent enough time with her to know that she loves horses. Therefore, I will help her with her horses. Same thing with the Word of God and the person of God. How can I love Him if I don't know who He is, what He loves? 
And that's why he's given us the body of Christ. That's why he's given us the Bible and the indwelling of his spirit. Why? So you can get up early in the morning and go chase horses. No. All right. We need to grab a hold of this because that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is dealing with up to this point. He's saying, listen, you guys are wisdom. This, this church is in the heart of man's philosophy. Heart of man's wisdom. And they were bringing their wisdom in, their understanding, and they were trying to blend it with the truths of God, and they were trying to figure out why they weren't getting along. Okay? I can go on through this text, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. Each man shall be... Uh, praise will come from God. Uh, how many of us look for praise? How many times do you serve the body of Christ and you get upset because no one acknowledged what you did? That's what the, what, listen, what you deal with in the body of Christ today, Paul dealt with in 50 AD in the church in Corinth. Why? A bunch of whiners. Why? That is what happens to us. Why? I have done these things for Jesus and no one noticed. And Paul says, you know what? That's not what it's about. Why? Do you want your praise from God? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I can handle that. Why? You know what? Are you willing that if no one ever acknowledged you for anything in this life, only to hear, well done, true, and faithful servant, could anything really compare? I, I can't understand that. And yet, what do we do? Yeah, but I studied hard. I got ready to teach that Sunday night class, and you know nobody was going to be there, and, 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 and nobody showed up, and I studied hard. Do you ever think that God just wanted you to study hard? <laughs> See, we, we don't, we're, we're, we've, we've bought what the world is selling to the church. Um, chapter 5, he dealt with immorality in the church. Chapter 6, he dealt with litigation, suing one another. Chapter 7, he begins concerning the things in which I wrote you. See, he literally, he could have stopped the, the first letter to the Corinthian church with the first six chapters. Why? He already hit it. I've already dealt with it. Okay, but then in chapter 7, he starts showing where man's philosophy comes from. And I deal with this on a regular basis today. Okay, because that's where he's starting, chapter 7. Married and single, which is more spiritual? Okay, and, and yet, how many of us will take a survey? Have you ever seen, uh, they used to have a test out. I took this years and years ago where it talked about, uh, you took a test on your spiritual gift, okay? And here's what your spiritual gift looked like in the flesh. Here's what your spiritual gift looked like in the spirit. And, and you go through, and if you act this way, then these are your spiritual gifts. You know what is amazing about that? Well, there's a lot of things amazing about that. But one of the things that is amazing about it is the spiritual gift of singleness was not listed. Because he says it is a spiritual gift to be single. Here's one of the things that you who are single, we looked at in depth. Am I being utilized to the full potential of the Lord Jesus Christ in my marital status at this time? And if you're not, getting married ain't going to help you. Actually, it will only make it worse. Because now you have two to struggle with. When in singleness, you only have one to, to struggle with. 
Okay, so it's stuff like that that, I, that we really need to pay attention because we have single, we have married people, we have what I call mixed marriages in this church. Mixed marriages, those married to unbelievers. And ask, ask those who are married to an unbeliever how much fun it is. Okay? But now, and then in chapter 8, all right, so I'm, I'm laying this foundation for us all. In chapter 8, he dealt with a principle that I called um, limits of Christian freedom, but it would be how do I deal with the gray areas of my life? Gray area decisions, things that the Bible don't say anything about. Don't say anything about. How do I deal with them? How do I make a decision on this, whether I should do this or I shouldn't do that? I mean, we can do that with houses. We can do it with furniture. We can do it with relationships with other people. Uh, we can do it with cars. Should I buy this or not buy this? Should Motorcycles, horses. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? And that's what we've been dealing with. And he gave us the principle in chapter 8. He will illustrate it in chapter 9 through 10.13. And then he will apply it in 10.13 through 11.1. Okay? And that, see how we, when I was start, told some people that I was going to teach 1 Corinthians, they all got nervous about it. Oh man, spiritual gifts, role of women, and this and that. You are getting ready to walk into no man's land. Truth of the matter is, if you take that text, the, the role of women, and I said it right here, look at the role of women, I can tell you what a woman's supposed to do. Here's spiritual gifts, and I can tell you what spiritual gifts are, but I tell you what, if you take it out of the first part of the book, you will be wrong in your interpretation of what the text says. Guaranteed. Why? I have yet to see anybody who doesn't get it wrong. When you just take 12 and 13 and say, here's spiritual gifts, you just missed it. Completely missed it. The role of a woman, there, what she, you missed it. What is going on in this church? Okay? The word puffed up, arrogant, is used eight times. In the New Testament, six in the Corinthian letters. Hmm. You think something might be going on there we need to pay attention to? I do. And that's what we're dealing with. So he begins literally the thought that he's dealing with in chapter 8 concerning things sacrificed to idols. And, you know, I'll be honest, this is hard text to teach because it does deal with the fact that the preacher should be paid. Okay, and yet um, I I struggle with dealing with this. Um, those of you who've been involved in the budget process here, I leave when we talk about what they're going to pay me. I'm just not comfortable with it. Why? I trust the king. All right, and yet I see guys who are willing, and yet I want to teach the full counsel of God. And guess what? Part of the full counsel of God I'm dealing with now, <laughs> paying the preacher. All right. So he's illustrating the limits of Christian freedom. And I love this because uh, I think there's a reason that I get along so well with Paul. Okay, because I've got to be honest with you. There is some serious sarcasm goes on in this text. And I have a, a side of me that gets a little sarcastic. And everybody says, well, I think he's mad. No, I, re I read Paul too much. Okay. We're answering some questions. Eating meat offered to idol. I gave you three parts. Chapter 8 is a principle. It's illustrated 9 through 10, 13. 10, 14 through 11, 1. He applies that principle. 
Okay, what is the limits of my freedom in Christ? Okay, remember what we looked at in chapter 8? We all have knowledge. In this room, we all have knowledge. Everybody in this room has knowledge to some degree or another. And we all know that an idol is absolutely nothing. It's silly. It's useless. Okay, we know that God is not concerned about food. Okay, so what's the big deal? And we looked at this. All right. What happens if I have a young believer who's just coming out of paganism who understood that the meat offered to an idol in a temple brought forth drinking and, and sexual immorality and all the things that was done to that? Would I go ahead and do and eat of that meat? Okay, well, Paul's already given it to us in chapter 8, verse 31. If, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Okay, now ask yourself a question. Can a Christian eat meat? Can a Christian eat meat that was offered at an idol? Absolutely. But if I have this knowledge and I don't have love, chapter 12 says you're just real, or chapter 13 says you're real noisy. That's it. What is your purpose? Nothing. A clanging gong. What does it mean? Nothing. What does it teach? Nothing. What does it show? Nothing. It makes a big loud noise. So basically what he's saying is, if I've got knowledge and I don't have love, you're just noisy. You're just noisy. And he says, I'm not going to do anything that would cause someone pain, grief, sorrow. You can look at this in depth, and I'm not going to deal with it, but in Romans 14, that whole text deals with it, and the basis is on drinking. If I'm going to cause someone to stumble, am am I willing to do that? Well, but how are they going to grow? How can I not teach him freedom? Okay, you know what? I'm going to go over to 14 because there is a text that I found that I think is pretty cool. For if because of food your brother is hurt, verse 15 of chapter 4, you are no longer walking according to love. Okay? do, Do we understand... What that means? Look at verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Okay? But I want to show you a verse that's just kind of amazing to me. All right? Chapter 14 of the book of Romans, verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Stop right there and think about what he's saying, all right? He says, now, except the one who is weak in faith, but not the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion, one person has faith that he may eat all things. He who is weak eats vegetables only. Okay, that's where he's setting it up. He says, so who are you to judge? What if a person is afraid to eat the meat offered to idols? Who are you to judge? Look what he says. To his own, and, it's, and the New American Standard says master. It's literally the word Lord. Okay, but it's small. It's not definite article. It's not emphatic. Okay, so it's a small. He says, so to his own Lord, his own ruler, he stands or falls. He's doing it for God. Understand, that's what Paul is saying in the Roman text. And he will stand for the definite article. Lord is able to make him stand. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying you can't teach him that it's safe. Only the Lord will teach them. Who are you to take them someplace that the Lord hasn't prepared them? That's basically what the text says. 
And yet, how many times do we believe that? Well, but I'm free in Christ. Hey, listen, I know. I know freedom. Paul says, I know freedom. But it isn't your responsibility to take everybody and drag them through something that literally can cause them harm. And that's what Paul is getting at. All right? If you do this, then you're a part of that person stumbling. Okay? You know what happens to uh, some of us when we think about that? You know, I caused my brother to sin. Well, they need to take responsibility for their own things. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound familiar to you? Am I my brother's keeper? Is that biblical? Absolutely. You know who said it? Cain. After he'd murdered his brother. So what's the implications? Yeah, you are. Okay? The Great Commission is what? Make disciples. Alright, so guess what is inherent in making disciples? (laughs) You're your brother's keeper. So why would I do something to cause them to stumble? Alright? So I kind of got a foundation. All that is just introduction. How about that? Alright? He's going to illustrate this thing. He's going to give two illustrations of the principle. Okay? One is his own life. Two is the life of Israel. Alright? His life, he now has uh, a liberty, and he could have used it, but he didn't use it. Why? In his love, he chose not to offend. Okay? What was the liberty or the freedom that the Apostle Paul refrained from exercising fully? So he chose not to offend. Anybody know? Support of the church. Getting money from the body of Christ. And he could have, in his freedom, expected the church in Corinth to pay him for his ministry, provide for his needs. He had a perfect right. But he chose not to. Okay? He did hides. It says, it says that he uh, made tents, is the translation most of you have. And it literally means a stitcher of hides. Okay? And I think about it in the early church, the birth of the church, um, the demand, that right, to demand that right, to, to draw upon the finances, uh, could have become an offense to some. Why? He's teaching a message of grace. And how people can mess it up. Ask yourself a question. The paying of preachers today, is it abused? This is interaction time. Yes. Does it ever cause you to hold back because of abuse? What did the Apostle Paul do? He says, I ain't taking your money. And I've seen this in, in men in my life, men that I have dealt with, that's still amazing to me this day. Um, I think about Dr. MacArthur, first and foremost. Um, when he travels to do a conference, he refuses uh, to take uh, money for flight or housing. Okay, His church provides it. And nor does he take an honorarium. Okay, All the books that he publishes, I mean all of them, he never gets a penny for. He gets no money from grace to you whatsoever. The only money that Dr. MacArthur receives is that from the church, period. And he refuses anything more than that. And if people have to, oh, you've got to take this, make it out to the 
church. Okay? He has no copyrights. He doesn't do anything. You know the Bible that he printed, his study Bible? The only reason he agreed to do that for Nelson Publishing is that they promised to give him 100000 that he could give away free. And he made not a penny off of it. Why? Well, I don't think he's in it for the money. What do you think? Okay, look what he does. Look what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Okay, Paul's asking him. Straight up question. Am I not free? I mean, he's going to list six principles on why he should be paid. And he starts it off, I'm going to ask you a question. Am I not free? Why? Well, church, Corinth, you're exercising your freedom, right? Am I not free? I mean, I'm part of the body of Christ. You say you have this freedom. How about me? Do I have this freedom? Paul says, yeah. Then he asks this question. Am I not an apostle? Okay, because now he's, I love Paul. (laughs) It's just so cool. Why? He says, how are you going to answer the first one? Am I not free? Well, yes, brother. Okay. Then he, and I watch people, and don't do what people do with this. Is he bragging? When he makes the statement, am I an apostle? You know what he's saying? Is my knowledge greater than yours? You say in your knowledge, eating meat offered to idol is not that big a deal. Who taught you that? Who gave you that knowledge? So is not my freedom even more in excess of yours? Because you're basing your freedom on knowledge. Okay, he's not boasting. Please understand, the Apostle Paul is not bragging about anything. He's calling a spade a spade. He says, you guys are causing an offense to younger Christians because you have this knowledge and you are exercising your liberty. Am I not free? Am I not even an apostle? Which means my freedom is even bigger than yours. Okay, now this is an interesting way he does this. Because he says, I want you to understand something. I'm in your boat. Okay? Am I not even an apostle? Even am I not a sent messenger? Don't I have at least the liberty that you do? Absolutely, Paul. Maybe more. But I'm not demanding you do any more than I would do myself. That's why when, when you think about spiritual leadership, you need to understand what is the path you're leading because you want the people to follow. I want you to do as I do. Well, that sounds, let me tell you something. If the man or woman who is leading you is not bowed in the pure holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't follow them anyway. If you see that person is bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are teachable by the Lord Jesus Christ, follow them. Hook your wagon onto them and don't let them get out of your sight. Okay, he gives two reasons, two verifications uh, of his office, of his position. Okay, one, look what he says here. One, have I not, here's one reason. Am I an apostle? Am I free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The office of apostle. 
has a qualifier. There's a movement today in the body of Christ to call new apostles. Okay? If I take the root word for the word apostle, it's anglios. You know what you get for anglios? Messenger. You know what another word is that you get translated out of? Angel. Okay? But to come out of that is a military term that secular Greek brought out, and it literally meant for a ship full of soldiers sent out for a, a purpose. Okay, that's secular Greek. All right, so when Paul uses the definite article apostolon, he's basically saying, I am an apostle, the office of. First qualification of the apostleship of an office of is to see the resurrected Christ. Please hear me well. I'm not talking about seeing Jesus in his three-year ministry. I'm talking about seeing the resurrected. And I have a biblical text to prove it. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're looking at the disciples have gathered in the upper room. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and they realize they have a a, a vacancy. Judas needs to be replaced. Okay, and so the, 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 the original 11 are calling on how do we deal with replacing Judas. Verse 21, chapter 1, book of Acts, let it be necessary, let it, therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus Christ went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us of what? The resurrection. You've got to see the resurrected Christ to have the quote-unquote office of apostle. Right? Why? Who sent him? Who sent Paul? Peter didn't. Right. The original 11 didn't. Jesus sent him with that idea. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Paul says, am I not an apostle? Chapter 9, book of Acts, verse 3. As he was traveling, okay, he was kind of ticked off at the Christians. He was on his way. He had letters from the synagogues of Damascus that if he found anybody of the way, men and women, he had a right to bring them in bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, verse 3, it happened as he approached, was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay? Understand something. You cannot separate the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. Impossible. Okay? Keep that in your mind. All right? Uh, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I got to give him credit. He had the ability to say something. <laughs> I'd be eating dirt. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> We're not having any fun, are we? Um, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are perse- persecuting. Get up, men in the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. All right. Ask yourself the question. Am I an apostle? The apostle Paul. Did he see the resurrected Christ? Yeah, probably in a way that a lot of us would never want to see done. Go to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Beginning in verse 17. Acts chapter 22. 17. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Okay, and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. Who did he see? Because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, who do you suppose he's seeing? 
All right. Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue and after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was there. So what's he, who's he talking to? Jesus. And he explains to it why the Christians aren't hearing him. But I want to take you to another text. All right. Back up to the left. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. Okay. Verse 9. Chapter 18, the book of Acts, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul, in, a, in the night by a what? Vision. Do you know what that implies? He saw something. Okay? So in a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Do you know where he's at? Corinth. This is the founding of the church in Corinth. Jesus Christ made an appearance to him. I can show you three times just quickly that Jesus, that Paul saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. I can also tell you that he was taught for three years in Saudi Arabia by who? Uh, yeah, I also know of a man. I don't know where the body of spirit would have sent into the third heaven. I can't tell you what he saw up there. Who is that? Well, I'll let you figure it out. So I can give you right there five times the apostle Paul saw the resurrected Christ. All right, back to your text. When he asked the question in chapter 9, have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. So his first validation, I'm an eyewitness of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, all right? Second validation, look at your verse. Are you not my work in the Lord? Seeing Christ, seeing what Christ had done through him. Two validations. Two validations. Do you have any doubt about my apostleship? That's what Paul is saying. Do you have any doubt about the authority by which I was with you? Then go look in a mirror. Go look in a mirror. Do you want to be used by God? Go look in a mirror. If the, if the power of God isn't working in your life, you're not working. Go look in a mirror. People, sometimes they say, uh, how do you know you were called? Well, I've never been on a Damascus. Actually, I have been on a Damascus road. Um, I've I, I seen the UN compound, not Christ. Um, I've seen a bunch of Israelis in tanks. That, they're not Christ either. But I guess, yes, I have been on a Damascus road, come to think of it. But I have never had... I've heard people say, well, I was, you know, fishing or something and God just, I didn't, no, I never had that. Sorry. I, maybe I had it and I just didn't, wasn't paying attention. I don't know. Um, people say, well, how'd you know you was called? I was the last one standing. Um, everybody left and volunteered me. I, I don't know. But you know what is confirmed in me? Change lives. Change lives. I see lives change. Okay. I didn't do it. Who did it? God did. God did. Okay? The Apostle Paul is telling the church in Corinth, guess what? You know what the second sign of my apostleship, the second sign of what I'm doing is of God? Look around, foo. That's how Terry would say it. That ain't how Paul would say it. Look at yourselves. Look at what God has done in Corinth and ask yourself a question. Where did the message come from? Well, but Paul 
God's sovereignty, he could have sent, but he didn't. He sent me. Okay. Look at verse two. He furthers it. If to others, I am not an apostle. At least I am to you. Did you get that? You know what? They've always challenged Paul. Okay. Remember in chapter 22, I showed you of Acts. And the Lord says, get out of Jerusalem. You know who he's wanting him to run from? Christians. Jesus was telling the apostle Paul, some of my saints are rednecks and you're on the list. Okay, so get out. Why? They are not buying it. But I have been going. He says, I don't care. You need to go tuck tail and run. All right, you've got to understand that. Jesus is watching his church and he understands that in that church there's some rednecks okay but he says this in this text he says at least i am with you i mean there's a whole bunch of people who don't believe i'm an apostle but you have to agree that i am at least unto you why basic root word messenger from god did i deliver god's message to you yep For you are the seal of my apostleship. I am a sent one from God. I brought you the message. What do you deny of that? Okay? You are sealed in the Lord. The fact that you are saved, the fact that you are in Christ, the fact that you are born again, the fact that you're even a church is proof enough that I am an apostle. The word seal there has to do when I wanted to accredit something as for me to validate what it was for, verify it, I'd put a seal on it. You could do that with a letter. You'd put your ring insignia in hot wax and it would seal the letter and you'd say, see, this proves that it's from me. You'd do it for, on a bag of beans. If you bought a bag of beans and you wanted to prove that these beans are your beans, you would seal that bag and say, see, these are my beans. They're authentic. Okay? So he says, you are proof that I'm an apostle. You are my seal of what God is doing. You you are the mark of the genuineness of my calling. How cool is that? So now he's won an argument, hasn't he? I'm an apostle, and don't I have some freedoms? You have freedoms. I was the one who brought you the message, so I have some freedoms. You know what? Maybe I even have some more freedoms than than you have because, you know what? I've got a little more of the message than you got because you didn't know nothing until I showed up. Based on their knowledge, based on his knowledge, what's the answer? You're an apostle. You were sent of God. Look at verse 3. My defense to those who examine me. The word examine there, you know, let me show you this. This gets really confusing. New American Standard verse 3 says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Literally in the Greek, it should be, this is my defense on those who would examine me. Okay? So that you take the last two words and turn them around, put them first. And this gets a little bit clearer, especially in light of everything else. Examine is a legal term. It means to investigate all the evidence before making a decision. He's done a good job, right? I've given you the evidence. This is... My defense on those who would examine me. What is your defense? Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Are you not the seal of what has happened? Have I not seen the Lord? In light of that evidence, 
what would you verify? Well, Paul's got some freedoms. I'd say Paul's got some freedoms. What are you saying? Liberties? In light of that evidence, for those who would examine me, verse 5. <laughs> Isn't it sarcastic? I mean it, right? Verse 6. Isn't it <laughs> sarcastic? Me and Paul, we have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Why? I'm going to give you it all out here, and then I'm going to deal with it. All right? What does he say? Do I have not the right to eat and drink? You've examined it. You've heard it. You've looked at it. Don't I have the right to eat and drink? I want to show you another one here. It's kind of weird. Verse 5. The New American Standard translates this thing. Do I not have the right to take along a believing wife? Okay, that ain't the original writing for that. Why? Chapter 7, what did the Apostle Paul stress that he was gifted at? Celibacy. Look what he says. The, the word is one word in the original language. Okay, And it liter, literally says, do I not have the right to take on a sister as a wife? Right. To get married to who? A sister, that's another one of those get married in Christ, in the Lord, not marrying unbelievers. So he's saying in the text, do I not have the right, should God remove this gift, to take a sister as a wife? Absolutely, he does. Why? The rest of the apostles do. The brothers of the Lord do. You know who the brothers of the Lord are? Those would be Jesus' half-brothers. They would be children born of Mary and Joseph. Uh, I believe James is one of those brothers, uh, the book of James that that is in your Bibles. Okay? They had brothers. Talk about sibling rivalry. (laughs) You know? Mom always loved Jesus more than us. <laughs> okay, anyway, I, just just a thought. But there are brothers of the Lord. They married. What does that mean? They had wives. Not only that, Cephas. Cephas had a wife. You know how I know Cephas had a wife? He had a mother-in-law. She became gravely ill, and Jesus hired her. Let me tell you something. I'm not a dummy. You don't get a mother-in-law unless you got a wife. I mean, nobody goes out and says, "I don't want to have a wife. I just want in-laws." Right? And he said, nine. Nah, Cephas had a wife and he took can you, Now, you ever thought about that? When I wrote this out, I thought about that. Can you imagine what Peter's wife would be like? Have you ever had your... I, this is a rabbit, but I had to think about this. You always think about people that you want to meet when you get to heaven. Peter's wife has moved up. Because I'm thinking, you hung out with Peter. <laughs> you know, you have got to be the pillar of patience and faith because <laughs> I've read, read about your husband. <laughs> of course, there may be some people who want to speak to my wife. But uh, <laughs> look at what it says here. Don't we have the same rights as the other apostles, even the brothers of the Lord, even not head Peter? He didn't say that in the text, but note that he did separate the apostle to the Gentiles separated the apostle from the Jews away from the rest of the apostles. Why? Who was the spokesman of the 11? Peter. 
<laughs> right? Whether God wanted him to or not, he would speak. Um, okay? The right of support. If I'm married and I take a wife, do you understand it's the responsibility of the church to support her also? Did you know that? That's what the text is saying. It's not saying, you know what, we're going to call a pastor. But his wife can get a job. That's all it says. It says if you're going to take the pastor. Listen, when we have Wayne come up and speak, we always offer Diana to come too. Why? They minister together. You've got to understand that. They minister together. Me and my wife minister together. I don't have a ministry separate from my wife's ministry, nor does my wife have a ministry separate from my ministry. Why? The two are one. We've got to understand that. All right? And it's the responsibility that take care of the wife. All right? Paul says, that's my right, that's my liberty. And I ask you. That's the joy that we know in the Lord. Did you know that? Taking care of the... The preacher and his wife. There's a joy in that. Yeah, I can tell by looking at you guys. <laughs> I'm thrilled. Okay. It is a privilege. I ain't, I ain't swaying anybody, am I? I wrote this stuff down. I kept thinking, I ain't buying any of this. Okay. And you know what? It's even more so than I believe than the visitors. I mean, we have visitors who come occasionally and they give to the church and I praise you for that, praise them for that, and that's great. But the truth of the matter is, it's the body, the local fellowship's responsibility. Why? Don't we want the gospel to go into the world? How does it go? Through the preaching? Okay. How does the preacher go? He is sent. Who sends him? Church does. How does he pay for it? I guess it's not that complicated. It's, it's a very uncomfortable talk, topic for me, but the church has a responsibility and the man of God has the right to ask for support. Uh, pretty straightforward. Sadly, uh, there's much abuse done with this. Look what he says. Verse 6. Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? See, I can't find anywhere in the writings of Paul where he didn't work to support himself. Okay? I can't find it. I, I, Ephesus, um, go to the book of Acts, Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, uh, Corinth, uh, Athens. Anywhere I see the Apostle Paul's footprint, handprint of the body of Christ, you will see him working. Why? Well, part is he's single. Second part is it's an infant church. And he understood the attitude of the people. Those of you who have been through Second uh, Thessalonians on Wednesday night understood the, the mentality of the people in the age in which we live. We see it today. I, I see it a lot today that, you know, I, I'm above working this, that, or the other. Okay? But it is the church's responsibility. Is it abused? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, everything is abused. What? What do we do with our liberty? If I have the liberty and the knowledge of it, and I have not love, you will abuse it. You guarantee. And then I shared with you 
If you have love and you don't have knowledge, <laughs> you're dangerous. Okay? You've got to understand the principle that Paul is getting at here. Why? He is in these people's face. Sarcasm. Ask yourself a question. When we talk about money in the church, does it make you just a little bit uncomfortable? Huh? Giving and not giving and all these other things. Huh? Does it make you uncomfortable? But what's the responsibility for a holy God? Well, we won't talk about it. Okay, I can't be condemned for something I didn't know. <laughs> and yet the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I spent 18 months with you people. We established something phenomenal in, the, in Corinth. Did I ever ask you for money? Did I ever even ask you to meet my basic needs? And the answer is no. He says, you know what, though? I could have. As an apostle, I could have. You bear witness to what God has done in your hearts, in your lives, through who? Me. Am I not deserved? You know, one time I ever see Paul taking money is when he was taking up money for the famine relief in Jerusalem. I'm taking it from the Gentiles to give it to the Jews to show the Jews that, that the Gentiles and them are one. That's amazing to me. And yet, we, I, I'll be honest with you. When I looked at it, I thought, how do I get around this thing? I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to talk about paying the preacher. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. That just drives me nuts. It makes me nervous. Why? Do you all not understand that it's a privilege? Why? Think about it from Paul's perspective. How did you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? From the man of God. How much do you owe that man? How much do you owe that man? That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't I have the same right as the rest? Yet I did not exercise my right. Why? I limited my freedom for your sake. Cool text. I mean, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but it's a cool text. I mean, because I love good sarcasm. Okay? Especially when it has the Word of God behind it. Sorry. Would we understand that? Have you ever thought about that? About your Sunday school teachers? The people that God has used in your life to only conform you into the image of Christ. That's mind-boggling. But we know we only boast in the Lord. And yet in that boasting of what my king has given me, how can I not give liberally as he's given me? That's what Paul's saying. I can exercise that. I have that knowledge. You have that knowledge. But my love refrains from me exercising that. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word and my brother Paul. Lord, uh, just amazing stuff. Lord, uh, thank you for the apostle to the Gentiles. Father, to know that he's even reaping fruit this day. That's amazing. Father, we who are gathered here are indebted to this man, Paul. Yet, Father, his love for your church. Let us pattern our lives after his love. 
Let us seek knowledge from above. Father, let us seek your love poured in our hearts to the person of your spirit. Father, they will know we are children of the Most High God because of our love for one another. Father, may that love be seen to every breath we take. To you, my Lord, and you alone, in Christ. Amen.